Grace and peace to you from God our Father, from our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit who comforts us. In the name of Jesus, amen. And so, the kingdom of Christ is a kingdom of grace. There is no other way to live under the rule of King Jesus than by grace alone. And St. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is a gift of God. And so the only way to gain access to Christ, his love for you, or the forgiveness of sins, and the eternal life that that forgiveness provides for us, is by grace. And that means that we are entirely undeserving of everything that the good Lord gives to us. But God gives everything to us for the sake of Jesus. The old acronym for grace is God's riches at Christ's expense. And this is true. God pours out upon us the gifts that Jesus earns for us. He pays for it. And the price is not cheap. It is a costly grace that Christ provides to save us. As it says in Galatians 3, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. And so our Lord Christ dies for our redemption. He bears the curse of the law so that you might be saved. It is costly. The grace of Christ is not cheap grace. And so today, we see Jesus share the parable of the workers in the vineyard, and he shows us what this kingdom of grace is like. As we have all the workers in the vineyard, we have the ones who bore the burden of the entire day as they enter the vineyard at sunrise to begin the work, and the master of the vineyard promises them their payment for their work. Yet the master is not going to sit idle all day while they bear the brunt as the vineyard is being harvested. No, he goes out and he continues to call workers into his vineyard. He goes out on the third hour and the sixth hour and the ninth hour and he gathers more people to produce and to work in his vineyard. And finally, at the end of the day, with only one hour of work left, he calls the lazy ones who sat in the marketplace all day, the lazy ones who did not heed his earlier calls. And he finds them in the marketplace and he asks them, why are you sitting around here all day? And they drum up their excuse and they say, oh, no one has hired us. Which is a weak excuse and the master knows it because he'd been calling workers into his vineyard all day. He had been finding the idle who had not been working. They just didn't his call. They could have come any time. They resisted his calling up to this point, but now he compels them, and he says, you come work in my vineyard too. And they do come, and they bear the last hour of the labor. But the real shock comes when the master starts to dole out the day's wages, and those who are called at the last hour are given a payment for a full day's work. Those who worked all day, they get excited and they say, if those lazy fools get a day's wage for one hour of work, we're about to get 12 hours of work of wages. 
We're in the money now, boys. And to their surprise, though, when they get to the end of the line, they get a day's wage. They get their one denarius. And not surprisingly, they become angry and bitter over this. And they complain to the master, how dare you? You have made them equal to me. I worked all day. I worked longer. I worked harder than any of them. And you insult my labor like this. That's not fair. And the master's response is perfect. As he says, friend, I'm doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? You see, these first workers had forgotten something. You see, their work and their inclusion in the work of the vineyard was because the master called them. They were allowed to participate in the master's vineyard. They were promised a portion of the master's wealth. They had everything to do with the grace of the master. This is what gained them access to the work of the vineyard. Not their, not their own goodness, not their own effort, not their own strength. It's just that the master called them first. They believed that their work entitled them to more than what the master was graciously providing for them. But they were not entitled to anything other than what the master promised. They did not deserve to partake in the work of the vineyard any more than those who came at the very last hour. The only difference between the first hour and the twelfth hour is that the master called them earlier and they came. It's because the master called them. And he was gracious in doing so. But this feeling of entitlement, it's common to our sinful flesh. As the Bible says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. It says, no one is righteous, no, not one. Yet the scriptures teach us that we're sinners who deserve nothing but wrath and anger from God. Psalm 37 says, mark the blameless and behold the upright, for there is a future for the man of peace, but the transgressor shall be altogether destroyed, and the future of the wicked shall be cut off. That's what sinners deserve from God. We deserve for God to destroy us. We deserve to be cut off from his goodness and mercy. We deserve to live amongst barbarians in a desert, sick, hungry, and afraid, and cold. And beyond that, we deserve the burning fires of hell. And this is what our works would earn us. No hope, no future, just the wages that our sins earn us. The wages of sin is death. And that's where all of our efforts will eventually land us apart from the gracious will of our master. But we often choose not to remember this, and so often our sinful flesh likes to keep a catalog in the heart and the mind of all the good we do in this life. And so I say to myself, I go to church, I give money, I volunteer my time, I, I serve on the boards, I help others, I use my gifts, I defend truthful doctrine, I raise my family in the right way, I am doing pretty good. And all of these things that we should be doing are good. And yet, our flesh can make any good work into a work of pride. And that old Adam that lives in us will begin to say, I'm owed something for all of this. 
That feeling of entitlement begins to infect how we live as the body of Christ, and we say to ourselves, I'm a good person, I deserve good things. We lord our service over others who may not do as much as we do, who may not be blessed or gifted in the ways that we're blessed and gifted. And we expect special privileges from our fellow members from the body of Christ because we deserve a little acknowledgement and appreciation for all that we do for you. But worst of all, we expect special blessings from God for all that we've done for him. We say to him, I've put in the work. So God, you better make me healthy, wealthy. You better give me the esteem that everyone should give me. And this leads to sadness. It leads to bitterness. It leads to despair. When we do all that we believe that we should be doing very often, God humbles us. And we meet some sort of difficulty, some sort of suffering, an illness, a death, a, a financial pitfall, something else. Name your thing. And then we think we're being slighted by God. And we grow bitter towards him because he's not blessed me in the way that I think I deserve to be blessed. Like those workers who bore the labor of the entire day, we cry out to God, unfair! And that's because our flesh loves to cloud and skew reality. Because we receive what we deserve. Yet our pride chooses not to acknowledge this truth. Rather than fall before the Lord in humble repentance, we despair. And that's where pride leads people, ultimately. It's despair. It leads us to total despair of God's love for us. It it all flows from believing that we deserve something other than the wrath of God, based on our own merit, our own effort, our own work. And we see an example of this with Israel in the wilderness. As we read this morning about the miracle of God providing the children of Israel with water from the rock. As the people had just been rescued by God, God had redeemed them from their bondage in the land of Egypt by doing great signs and wonders. And as the plagues befell Pharaoh and the Egyptians, they were brought to their knees. And Israel was blessed. You see in our Old Testament lesson this morning that Israel didn't really get that though. As God had acted in grace to redeem them from their bondage, he had parted the sea, he destroyed Pharaoh's army, Israel was saved, and yet right after that, they grumble against God because they're a little thirsty. The first bit of adversity caused bitterness towards God. They did not stop to realize that they lived solely by the grace of God alone, but this moment of discomfort was a reminder of this reality. They did not deserve anything from God. They deserved to be destroyed in that wilderness. They deserved to die of hunger and thirst. They deserved to be run down by Pharaoh's chariots. But God did not give them what they deserved. God was gracious. He does not give sinners what their sinful works earn for them. The same pride can do something else in us. There's a sin that the latecomers can fall into as well. When the master gives the workers who only worked an hour a full day's wage, the response should be love and devotion for the master. 
It should be joy and exaltation of the Master for His grace. And they should delight in their Master's grace in a way that fills them with a desire to love and serve Him. They should be the first to show up the next day for the labor. If there's always a temptation that says, Hey, i got a great thing going here by all this grace stuff. I can do the same thing tomorrow. I'll loaf around in the marketplace. I'll come in in the last hour. And I'll make another denarius. Easy money. And the workers who felt slighted the day before, they might say, oh, I see how this works. I'll just do the minimum for tomorrow as well. And this is often what our sinful flesh does when we misunderstand the grace of Christ. As it says, oh, God will forgive me. My behavior doesn't really matter. I'll do what I want. I'll make myself happy, and then God will deal with it. That's called cheap grace. Cheap grace is to look at our inclusion in the kingdom of God and to pretend that it did not cost him something precious. It's to call yourself a Christian without repentance. It's to be a Christian without any love for God or the neighbor. It's not to apply the Ten Commandments to yourself because sin is not that big of a deal. It's to despise the preaching of God's word because I know enough and I'd rather do other things. It's, it's to preach forgiveness without repentance. It's to baptize people into the faith and then refuse the life of discipleship. And St. Paul responds to this perfectly. In Romans 6, he says, What shall I say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who have died to sin still live in it? Because do you not know that all of us who are baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. We are buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. We as Christians must reject any notion of such cheap grace. That grace of Christ is not a trifle. It is something that has been dearly bought for you. And your inclusion in the kingdom of Jesus came at a great cost to God. The wonder of it all is that it is a cost that God is willing to pay. And he's willing to pay it because of his great love for you. We often rattle off John 3.16 without considering what it's truly saying. As it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. But I want you to consider the love that would pay such a price for your redemption. I want you, if you're a parent, ask yourself the question, would you offer up your child's life to save one of your enemies? Would you hand your child over to die for someone who hates you and rebels against you and wants nothing to do with you? It becomes a very steep powerful, personal question. Yet this is exactly what God does for us. As Romans 5 says, For while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare to die. But God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have been now justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now we are reconciled 
and we shall be saved by his life. This is a costly grace, and it should demonstrate to us how immensely gracious and loving our God truly is. And from this love should blow, flow an outpouring of love for our God, and from that love for God, a love for our neighbor. It should make lazy fathers into dutiful fathers. It should make negligent husbands into loving images of Christ. It should make contentious wives into dutiful and submissive helpmates. It should give rebellious children the desire to love and forgive their parents. It should cause drunkards to hate their habit. It should cause those consumed by lust to fall to their knees and pray for deliverance for their own wandering eyes. It should make us mark every divine service as a sacred time that any other fun weekend activity cannot violate. It should cause us to truly want to run to the place where God's people cry out, Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Lord, have mercy upon us. It should produce true repentance in our hearts and our lives. It should cause us to despise those sins that place Christ on the cross while still rejoicing in Christ and his cross because it saves us from our sins. We are not to put Christ to the test, but we are to cherish him as the gift of God that saves us. And in this, we walk in repentance, trusting in God's gracious will to save sinners. And that's what we do here every Sunday. We live in repentance. We come here because we are sinners who desire absolution. We come here because our sin is inevitable. You will sin today. You have sinned today. Yet the grace of God is for sinners. Our God's kingdom of glory is open to us only because he is gracious towards sinners. And he does act in grace by forgiving our sins. To have this forgiveness, you are required to know who you are. You are a poor sinner who has been loved by God. And you must be a sinner. If you are anything other than a sinner, then the grace of Christ that you desire from God is not grace. It's payment. If you are seeking payment from God, he can only give you what you are owed. And trust me, you will not like it. But if you are a sinner who is seeking from God mercy, help, and comfort, knowing that you cannot do anything of your own to earn it from him, then his grace provides this in abundance. In our epistle lesson today, St. Paul calls us to live by faith that responds rightly to the grace of Christ, as he exhorts all Christians to live lives of discipline so as to not abuse or despise the grace of Christ that Jesus has worked for us. And this gracious work of Christ should cause us to delight in him. And from this delight, love for his word and for his will should fill our lives. As Jesus says, blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it or guard it in their hearts. And this means that we're called to be Christians who guard the word of God in our lives as a precious gift. The word is what gives us life. It is what produces faith. And true faith will produce an outpouring of Christian love for God and our neighbor. St. Paul calls us to guard ourselves against lovelessness. He calls us to recognize our sinful flesh and its selfish desires 
to place everyone else, including God, into our own debt and at our own service. But when a sinner becomes a Christian, when we repent of our sins, when we dramatically see the gospel of Christ, and when this produces fruit so that sinners dramatically change their life and their behavior, this is nothing other than the grace of Christ at work. That sinner can't beat his chest proudly and say, look at me, see how I fixed myself. No, he can only say, thanks be to God for his grace toward me. The fact remains, no matter how much he changes his life and his behavior, he will always have to contend with his fallen flesh, and he will not, never stop needing the grace of Christ that forgives his sins until the day he closes his eyes and opens them again in the kingdom of heaven. He will have to live by faithful repentance in the gospel of Christ. He will have to continually look to Christ to take away his sin. And by grace, Jesus will do it. We are called as Christians to recognize this wicked part of our flesh and deny its satisfaction. As Jesus says, so you also, when you have done all that you were commanded, will say, we are unworthy servants. We've only done our duty. And so when we think about our work in the kingdom of Christ, we think about our works in the vineyard, so to speak, when we think about our works of love and devotion within the church, as we think about our vocation within our families, we must see them simply as an outpouring of Christ's grace for us. We could see it only in Christ's grace working repentance in us. As we are forgiven sinners, we simply live in our callings, knowing that we deserve nothing from God. And yet, we trust in his promise to give us a kingdom. And so we remember that we are simply recipients of grace. We are sinners who have been forgiven, nothing more. Yet, when we see this for what it is, there's no denying that we are loved by God. And then that love changes who we are. It reshapes what we desire in this life. It alters what we value. It produces fruit that is born out of the grace of God. And so we realize that we are nothing apart from God's grace toward us. But that grace is wonderful. With God's grace, we are heirs of an eternal kingdom where forgiven sinners live before God in eternal joy. And so, my dear friends, live in the grace of Christ. Cherish and uplift the grace that Jesus has for you. Don't beat your chest. Don't boast in your own efforts. But simply come here and gather as fellow redeemed sinners who live under the cross of Jesus. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we praise you for the grace that saves sinners. Help us never to regard ourselves as anything apart from that grace. Rather, help us to rightly see ourselves as sinners who have been redeemed and who are being sanctified through the gracious life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Now may the peace of God that surpasses all understanding guard your hearts and your minds in the true faith and the life everlasting. In the name of Jesus.
Amen. We rise.